Welcome to Leadership Arts Review, a dynamic podcast about the art and science of leadership. Join us as we explore a different leadership book each episode. We will help you navigate all the theories and strategies out there and find the elements that work for you. We will share what we liked, what we learned, and what we recommend. I'm Nitya. I'm Alyssa. I'm Margaret. I'm Kate. On today's episode, we will be discussing The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Here is a little description about the book, the official one. Whether this is your first exploration of inner space or you've devoted your life to the inward journey, this book will transform your relationship with yourself and the world around you. You'll discover how you can mend the habitual thoughts and emotions that limit your consciousness. By tapping into traditions of meditation and mindfulness, author and spiritual teacher Michael Singer shows how the development of consciousness can enable us all to dwell in the present moment and let go painful thoughts and memories that keep us from achieving happiness and self-realization. So that is a high-level summary of The Untethered Soul. We're going to get a lot more into the deeper questions that the book explores. Starting with an overarching question, early on in the book, Singer challenges us, the readers, to take everything our mind says and imagine it as someone who is speaking to us. So it's almost like a personification of our own inner voice that he opens with. And I think the reason he opens with this is because there is such an interesting exploration of the concept of self in this book. So I wanted to start with that and get a sense of what you all thought of this, of how to think of the self and your early impressions. So this is Margaret. And the first thought that came to mind for me was my, who's talking more to me? Is it my inner critic or is it my inner leader? And what I realized is that very often it's my inner critic and that takes you down a very negative path. So if I can maintain an awareness of who is behind that voice, what's behind that voice, I will have a little better self-management and then the opportunity to change that dialogue. But that was the very first thing that popped up for me was, wow, it can be really negative sometimes in that head. Yeah, yeah. I like the point you raised around it's empowering to know that in a way because Mm -hmm. then you can shift that dialogue or just shift your relationship with that sometimes negative dialogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would add to that the idea of these tremendous stories that we make up in response to things. Without a lot of data, without a lot of experience, we respond in our own heads and suddenly we're 15 steps down the road from whatever just happened. So that idea of being aware, as Margaret said, of what is that voice, not only where is it coming from, but just what is it saying that might be absolutely unreasonable or absolutely a product of our imagination so that we can just kind of consciously slow it down or just say, let's pause for a second here before this inner monologue goes so far that we've transported ourselves to a whole other world that doesn't even exist yet. Right, right. Yeah. For me, I love the idea of imagining that voice as someone talking to me because the old saying, don't believe everything you think, 
mm-hmm. don't believe everything you feel, uh, <laughs> but don't believe everything you think. If you're somebody whose inner voice speaks to you in the voices of the other people that have said words to you, it's sort of easy to go, oh, that's my mom speaking in my head. But if that voice is the voice that I associate with myself, it becomes really easy to believe that is a true thing that I believe about the world in a sort of grand comprehensive way. And if I imagine that that's actually somebody else talking to me, it's much easier for me to be skeptical about what it has to say to me. Yeah, that's great. And you know, one of the quotes that I really like in the book that really touches on this is there is nothing more important to true growth than realizing you are not the voice of the mind, you're the one who hears it. So as that recipient of the voice, and and with the ability to cultivate that distance from that voice, you know, just to build on that, what, what would you say coming out of this book that that gives us and that offers us? And the reason I'm asking that is, you know, there may be folks listening to this who are already interested in topics like this that touch on mindfulness in some way and touch on that spiritual inner journey. And there may be those who are newer to this too. So what would you say this type of exploration offers leaders? I think I sort of went there in terms of it gives people the opportunity to challenge is what I'm hearing in that inner voice actually responsive to the facts, using an interpretation of the facts that actually makes rational sense. And it creates a sense of space for making choices. And for me, that's the leadership opportunity is to not be reactive unconsciously to whatever is going on and to actually take a moment and pause and think, is this true? And if it is or isn't, how do I want to deal with it? So it puts leaders back at choice. I think the other thing is that he alludes to this later at some point in the book, our thoughts about things come from historical data. So it's all of our experiences. Mm -hmm. And when we have these experiences, we tend to automatically carry them forward without testing the assumptions. So what it gives an opportunity for leaders to do is pause and realize that just because something was that way doesn't mean it needs to be that way moving forward. I think if we look at leaders who have made big changes and shifts in their organization, it's because they were able to actually stop that dialogue and make those changes. They were able to get people on board to do that as well. Yeah. So it it really leaves room for change and for evolution. What was true doesn't need to continue to be true. One of the things I like about this book and some of these lessons we're drawing from it is it, it does take lessons about self and about understanding your relationship to emotion, to your own thoughts, to a sense of self and makes them pretty simple to understand pretty digestible. That's something I really appreciate. I find it to be a pretty accessible book in that sense. One that is a really intriguing read, but one that you can actually get through and draw these things from. So uh, along those lines of simplicity, another question for me came up pretty early on, which has to do with getting lost in our own thoughts. The singer talks about how we can get lost in our, in our thoughts and emotions sometimes such that we actually don't realize what's happening in front of us in the present moment. Sometimes that can be really fun (laughs) for us as humans, right? I mean, either because it's a really good movie we're watching or some interaction that we get really absorbed in. I'd love your thoughts on on maybe experiences you've had like that or, or what are the costs of that? I think I was drawn to the idea of letting things go, letting things happen and letting things go. 
especially those things that can really irritate you or get you really worked up. You know, I think he uses kind of road rage a couple of times as yeah. a, as an example. And the idea of just getting so hooked and angry about something that it then colors the rest of your day. Right. Uh, and I recently had a situation where I had a kind of an upsetting phone call and I was on my way to a social gathering and I actually called a friend and said, you know, can I just talk this through with you? I don't want to take this to the party. Mm. And so, you know, you were talking, I think, about really a lot of the positive of that, of what he was talking about. And it made me be a little bit more conscious of getting so involved and so absorbed in something that makes me angry or, you know, makes me confused and the value in being able to just kind of be there, experience it and let it go so that it doesn't impact other experiences and make Mm -hmm. me miss something because I'm just so churned up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a great example. And I want to just highlight the word hooked because it's such a powerful visual for this concept. And yeah, like you said, it really prevents us from seeing and experiencing what's happening presently. And sometimes it feels like what we're doing that we're hooked on is really important. So one of the things that I have experienced frequently is we'll be in a meeting and the meeting is discussing a topic that we touch on at a high level and then we have to move on for various reasons. And somebody is hooked on the unresolved Mm -hmm. part of the previous topic and misses the entire conversation about the next topic because they're still working through things that might actually be really, really useful on the previous topic. But that time is not the most effective time to be thinking through the problem. Right, right. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if any of you experienced this, but in reading this and, and many of the other concepts outlined in the book, there is a part of me also, and I just want to own this, right, as I was reading it, that felt a little, there's a little corner of resistance in my mind uh, in that I I wanted to embrace this journey and master this ability to cultivate that separation and to separate myself from my thoughts and do a lot of these things. And I did experience a little bit of resistance in that I found myself asking a question around where does my sense of agency interact with kind of base emotions? And, you know, is there still room for base emotions? Or, you know, is this arguing in favor? of let's really take our base emotions and our instincts and have those be separate from this kind of higher self on this higher journey. Because I see so much value in those those instinctive reactions sometimes. And so that's my general resistance whenever I read material like this. It's funny you should bring this up because I had the same feelings and reaction about thinking about it in particular around work. So imagining saying this to somebody and then they're coming back with a very real issue and how do you deal with that? Yeah. And I actually went back and re-listened to the book. I read and listened to the book on Audible. Yeah. And the thing that I may have missed the first time was things are going to come up and you have to deal with them, right? So it's not like ignore it and pretend everything's rosy, yeah. but deal with it. So I started thinking about, I put that context around a situation and you know, I realized that I have a very long way to go before I personally would consider myself even close to mastering being present and just letting things flow through. Mm-hmm. And I know we have talked in the past about this concept of orange liquid, and that's kind of what this reminded me of. So for the readers, I'll explain that, excuse me, for the listeners, I'll explain. 
when you have something that you know really takes over, feel the emotion and imagine some spigots at the bottom of your at your mm-hmm. heels that you can turn on and off and just let that orange liquid flow through you. And and that is um, that's been helpful for me. That's what I found to be a piece of this was how do you feel it? How do you deal with it and come back to being okay with watching this experience and not being a part of the experience? Does that make sense? It does. So you're becoming a witness to your experience. And I love that visual of the orange liquid of letting thoughts and emotions flow through you. So you're not preventing yourself from feeling them, but you're also giving them a channel and you're giving them an outlet. And it's not that issues aren't real. Yeah. There are real issues in any part of our life, but work comes to mind very easily just in terms of challenging things. Somebody has to be laid off. Um, Somebody didn't get a promotion. They wanted the promotion, all those types of things. They're real and they have implications and we have to deal with them and we can work toward not being so hijacked by them that they color everything else that's going on in our life. Yeah. 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 You say we can work to be not so hijacked. One of the questions that I always have when I'm reading this kind of stuff is how psychologically healthy is the person who's who's engaged in this kind of practice? How pro-social is their behavior naturally? And where is values-based action at play in this? Because if you actually get to the point where you witness everything and you're okay with everything, then your action can just as naturally be antisocial as it is pro-social because there's no preference associated with Mm, it. mm -hmm. And so in the middle of the book somewhere, he talks about choosing to be happy. Yes. And I kind of hate his language about happiness because happiness is a very, it's an emotion that a lot of people cling to. A lot of the writers that I prefer use words like joy and contentment and ease ease and spaciousness rather than happiness. And I find those less likely to hook me as an emotion, but cultivating compassion and kindness and interdependence with other people alongside of cultivating the sense of witnessing oneself feels very, very important to me, especially for leadership. Absolutely. Thank you for raising that point, Kate, about happiness, because I felt the same way about that. And in a strange way, a lot of the language around choosing happiness can paradoxically end up placing a great burden on people to have to choose it, this you know elusive thing, or, or else fall back into self-blame that if they aren't feeling the great uh, <laughs> ecstasy of happiness, that they must be doing something wrong. Uh, whereas to put words in your mouth here a little bit, the relatedness and the connectedness and the feelings of fulfillment and contentment that come from that, we can actually choose and we can actually lean into because happiness stand alone. I mean, it can kind of come from any source, you know, <laughs> uh, pro-social or anti-social, if, if I'm reading what you said correctly there. Yeah. And happiness is an emotional word. Yeah. Happiness. And so it, it lands, some things make us happy and some things make us sad. Yeah. And that is part of what we witness if we're cultivating this witness. And so I like words like spaciousness and ease because they're qualities of attention rather than descriptions of emotions. And I think that that's really what the witness gives us. Yes. Happiness sort of can capture connectedness and agency and accomplishment and relationships, all of which are good things, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but all of which come with some kinds of struggle sometimes too. Conceptually, I like the choice 
towards that compassion and that relatedness and to that sense of accomplishment. I think twice about the word happy. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's interesting when you said you had some issues, I was sort of what and some resistance to reading this. And I was wondering whether that was intellectual or whether that was egoic resistance, because I know that uh, for me, I get both. Yes. There's part of me that is that my ego is like, no, 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 no. I'm I'm attached to these things that I think. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I don't actually want to put them outside me. I know. I think it was a little bit of both for me too, Kate. Uh, there, there were some places of, of intellectual resistance, not too many in this case. It was mostly egoic resistance around, yeah, I mean, you know, change of any kind is hard and especially the kind of change that requires a uh, a new relationship with self can, can be a lot, even for those of us who are open to it and, and even see the benefits of it, for sure. Um, and, and happiness falls into that that category. And I think the, the other, the other place with that is is um this idea of life giving us a gift and uh, cultivating non-resistance so that we see what's coming as a gift. I think it can be very challenging. Yeah. Um, I think it can be challenging. It's easy when it's a good thing and it's really hard. You have to spend some time trying to find the gift in something that rubs up against a value, right? Right. So, and I do believe uh, because I spent some time really thinking about some challenges that I had and how could I look at them as a gift. And sometimes yeah. it felt a little like, yeah, I could look at it that way, but I don't know if I'm there yet. <laughs> and um, and I will say that it was very interesting for me to work on those things and realize that um, you really can find a gift in anything. And when it, you think about people that watch on the news who have you know lost a limb or you yeah. know been in some kind of devastating situation where it's radically changed their life, right. and how they're on television is because they managed to figure out a way to find purpose and continue moving on given the change in their circumstances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a lesson, there's always a lesson in there. I mean, that's why they're they're getting the attention that they're getting, right? Because they figured out something that the rest of us struggle with. So I sure. do think that there's a way to look at things and, and find a gift. And I think it's challenging because it's not to say that these people or anybody doesn't spend a lot of time getting to that place. Yes. So the journey is getting to that place and figuring out what is the gift. It's not something bad happens and you say, oh, there's a gift in that. You know, think about the reaction any of us have when we lose a loved one, yeah. whether it was their time or not. And somebody who doesn't know what to say comes up to us and says, well, it's a blessing. <laughs> They're at peace now. What's the first thing you want to do? You really want to punch them? You want to strangle them? You want to say something, right? Like yeah. that's for me to decide. That's not for you to tell me. And that's the work, right? We get to figure that out and know it. And that's, to me, a big part of the challenge when other people try to tell us how we should feel and when we should feel that way. Right, right. And that's a a beautiful example when you talk about the loss of a loved one, because there's a journey from getting to feeling the emotion fully to probably feeling several other emotions over the course of time to then getting to a different place where, where maybe that gift is more visible. But when we try to drag either 
ourselves or other people through that process more quickly than they want to or, or more quickly than they can, it can be pretty destructive. Um, so I, I really appreciate that reminder because there is, I think, pressure in, in our society in a lot of ways to, to be okay and to see the gift really quickly or to do something with our grief really quickly and turn it constructive. And, and those are all great things, but we do have to get there in the time that we get there for sure. And that's the beauty of our humanity is that we are all individuals. Yes. Right. So some people are going to get there sooner than others and that's okay. And I think it's important for people to understand that it's okay. And I think this idea that there is a gift to find or there is a journey to take. And I, I feel like sometimes that's just something you get through experience or dare I say age you're just able to look back and see these gifts that were there. And if there's a way to help other people become aware that there is that possibility of the gift, not to accelerate their journey, but to help them just know that there there is a journey yeah. and that there is a way to look at something as a gift. That sometimes I think that can be a really tough lesson to learn and it can be something that takes a long time to learn. So there's something to me in being introduced to that concept mm -hmm. a little bit earlier that can help close that gap between how long does it does sure. it take me to just know okay I'm gonna be in this and I'm gonna be in this for however long I, I need to and then I can look for the gift yeah I'm gonna be kind of contrary I object thoroughly to the word gift mm. I do not object to the idea of finding the opportunity for growth and learning out of bad situations I find the idea of calling a you know, sexual harassment on the job or rape a gift, yeah. even if there's learning or growth that comes from it. Mm -hmm. Gift, psychologically, gift requires return. Gift creates obligation. And the pressure associated with the word gift is actually inherent in the nature of the way gifts build social communities. Yeah. And although I'm a big believer in noticing the good and finding the learning, I object pretty strenuously to the language of gift. Yeah. There's there's a reminder in there for, for our listeners to choose a word or choose language that resonates for this overall concept. Absolutely. Um, so if learning or growth or lesson, for instance, uh, resonates more, choose that. You know, words words have power and words have meaning and we, we have to use ones that work for us. Yeah. There are some lovely concepts that are around here. The idea that life is precious, yeah. that we only have to the best of our knowledge, one, and so we might as well make the best of it. Yeah. That is a beautiful concept. It is a very profoundly moving concept concept. The idea that there is growth and learning that can come even out of things that seem atrocious creates a sense of possibility. Yeah. There are some beautiful concepts that are in around here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it ultimately, I think, creates, like you said, possibility and, and hope. And, and hope can be a really powerful uh, mover for things and can uh, can help get people unstuck. So we've touched on this, we've kind of danced around this, but I want to get into it a little bit more deeply. Uh, one of the big takeaways for me in this book has to do with our inner source of energy. So Singer writes a lot about this, and I consider it a slightly distinct concept from engaging 
engaging with our thoughts and engaging with our outer experiences because it is, it's energetic. And so one of the things he writes a lot about and explores is this idea that we have a source of energy inside of us, all of us, that is distinct from, you know, the scientific definitions of energy. So if any of you were like me and started taking that kind of literally, <laughs> the, you know, uh, calories in, energy out kind of thing, that's, that's not what he's really talking about. But the fact that there is, there's an inner energy in all of us that is distinct and that can, can sometimes be called upon and can sometimes present itself rather unpredictably as well. But there's an energy that we can get some benefit from understanding a little bit better and have a relationship with so that we know we can tap into it. I was fascinated by this whole section on this and I took his call to action to think about when I've had these sudden bursts of energy that were hard to otherwise explain, but that moved me to action. So I wanted to explore this a, a little more deeply with each of you, but um, we especially love to hear examples of that and, and how you interacted with that. I thought that it was like you, Nithya, a very interesting concept and thought about it myself. Like, how can I apply that more in a way that's productive for me? The examples that I came up with were, you know, obviously the, the happy examples were easy. They, yeah. they pop into your mind and you realize there is like all of a sudden that, that massive energy that you have to to do something because there's you know some kind of emotion that's I have a positive emotion that's attached to it. The keeping an open heart concept to me it felt like peeling back an onion, right? Because sometimes a topic has you so wrapped up that you have to spend some time. You know, the heart opens and closes. It opens and closes like mm -hmm. almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and okay, I'll try that. Nope, nope, not working. Back and forth. Back and forth. So really, it was really spending time trying to keep an open heart. I know you've all heard me talk about this. My husband does this very easily. He manages to not get upset about things. He actually has a, a process that is so innate, he doesn't even know how he does it. But he just thinks about, is this going to bother me in six months? And if it's not, he lets it go. Mm. I've spent a lot of money trying to get to that place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he was born that way. So what my takeaway was that I was going to practice this. Mm -hmm. how to keep an open heart and see where that led me with energy and, and right. being mindful of it so that I could kind of do a little test run. Yeah, yeah. I love the example of, about your husband. What would you say is the difference or, or maybe it's more similar than different between this energy and, and something like motivation? It could be easy to look at this and go, well, if you're just motivated enough, <laughs> you can do stuff or you can lean into experience or you can turn something on or off. I'm curious about that because it feels like inner energy is different from motivation based on the way Singer writes about it. But what do you think about that? Interesting, because I was actually going to say that for me, my experience of the inner energy is it's a motivation, but mm -hmm. it's deeper than consciously chosen motivation. It's mm -hmm. got a sort of compulsive in-process piece to it. It's much harder to choose not to use. Right. Uh, it feels... So James Hillman has a concept of uh, the personal development cycle um, trajectory, like our psyche starts like an acorn and it has this natural pull to grow into an oak and that's just part of the nature of being an acorn it's part mm -hmm. of the nature of being a human being and for me that's what the inner energy feels like is it feels like I'm in process and my ego isn't driving the boat so motivation is ego driven and that inner energy is more values and principles and interconnectedness with everything driven than me driven yeah, yeah. 
Love that. When you were asking about kind of that inner energy, I think about the times where I feel in that concept of flow. When is it that that I am just so energized from the inside that I am in flow? Or from another book that we talked about, 15 Commitments, you know, in my zone of genius. Yeah. And how that creates that internal energy. And when I think about it that way, it, there is a little bit more of a cause and effect as opposed to what Singer's talking about of just this energy that exists. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it's how do I kind of ignite that energy? It is there. I understand the concept. And I think what, what I had some trouble with throughout the book was wanting a little bit more guidance in the how. Uh, there's a lot of these great concepts and, you know, we're talking about soul. So I understand that it's not going to be, and we're talking about untethered and I'm basically asking for things to, yeah, to yeah, yeah. stake in the yeah, ground. Right, right. So I understand but tether that me though. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. This is making me really uncomfortable. So yeah. tether me. Yeah. So that idea that there is this inner energy that we can access when we need it and the mindfulness and the other aspects of this is about is about figuring out for ourselves how do we access this and yes there are going to be external things that can that can help access it or ignite it whatever word is is your your preferred word but the real work is figuring out how we can do that on our own without mm -hmm. external without relying on on the external. And I think that's a, you know, that's a constant area for growth. For me, there are days when I just say, well, I just really don't have the energy to do this. And some days that's okay. And some days you just got to do it anyway. And then there are the days where it's like, I don't know where this is coming from, but I am just, you know, yeah. I am powering through things that were on my to-do list for, for months are getting done. So I would like to do some more work around understanding that and then hopefully harnessing it. That's where I'm looking for probably a little bit more of a tether. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's interesting that you say that because one of the books that I've read recently that has some of the same ideas on this is called The Unfettered Mind. And it is... <laughs> Huh. Um, and 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 it's it's actually a book of samurai swordsmanship. It doesn't actually teach you anything about how to make a cut. It is all about the mental game. But it starts with you practice really hard so you get really really great at the technique. And then you do it without attachment to it. And when the opponent is in front of you, you have the skills to back up what you are being called to do in this moment, which is kill your enemy. And that for me connects to the concept of flow because the piece in flow, um, what, what it's been shown sort of triggers people into flow is when they're at the maximum challenge that they can handle with their present capability on something. And they're using all of themselves in service of a goal. And so the moments where the great basketball players are in flow mm -hmm. are the really hard game against the really toughest opponent with all the stakes on the line where I just drop in and I'm there, but I've got all of the skills at my disposal so I don't have to think about anything. And Henry Nguyen talks about your calling. This is a theological perspective from a liberal Christian theologian. Your calling being where your greatest strength meets the world's greatest need. And I think that's where, that's where this energy comes 
comes in is when we're being really well used in solving a problem that is there in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how I put it all together. Yeah, it's such an important reminder that these are skills that work together to create that sense of energy and flow. It's not just a magical thing that suddenly happens. And in the case of athletes and you know, martial arts practitioners and things like that, it's literal physical skills that they master over time. And then in the case of flow in our work, it's a lot of other things. It's mental and emotional skills. And those who are who are maybe advanced spiritual practitioners it's it's meditation skills, it's various other emotional muscles that they're building over time to get to that place. But even if someone has never meditated in their lives or, or done anything like this ever in their lives, I think there are a lot of listeners who can relate to what you, Kate and Alyssa, are saying around just sometimes I find that I'm going automatically and quickly. And that's because we do have these skills in our, in our reservoir that we draw from, sometimes whether we realize it or not. And I think Rick Hansen would tell us, if, if some of you are familiar with Rick Hansen's work on neuroplasticity, that we can always be growing our emotional reservoir of positive, growth-oriented, um, adaptive skills that just build our toolkit in this way so that we have even more to lean on and even more to fall back on in those moments where where great energy or great flow is, is called for. There's something about the capacity that we have and the skills that we have being the right fit for what is needed in the moment. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, if you have a meeting that is really contentious because there are important things on the line and disagreements about what is the right way to go, there are some people who are capable of facilitating a contentious meeting with ease. And there are some people who are not. And they might be great at facilitating a logistical meeting where there's not a big issue at stake. And they're going to feel really great. You know, The person who's got the, the skills that aren't really great for dealing with the conflict are going to feel great in a low conflict situation. And they're going to get into that flow in that kind of situation. The people who are really great at facilitating high conflict situations are going to be bored to tears <laughs> in the meetings that the other person would feel great in because right. they're not being well used because they have skills that aren't being called upon. Yeah, that's right. And I think this is one of those natural places where each of us listening can can do a little bit of reflection on what are those situations in leadership, at work, in life where, where we find our skills are naturally gelling with what's being called for. And therefore we're stepping in, we're stepping up and we're leading or we're driving or we're navigating it with ease. That can be a really, really cool exercise to take away from this and maybe think about or journal on or whatever your preferred reflection mode is, because we might be doing some of this stuff without really being aware of it. And a book like this can draw attention. Hey, actually, let's become aware of that and see where our skills are and and equally, what are those situations where we're not equipped and what we want to do about that. All right. So I want to just shift gears here a little bit and talk about the concept of freedom. So Alyssa alluded to this earlier with the, you know, the name of the book is Untethered Soul, after all. And so Untethered does imply that in engaging with the concepts that we've outlined here today, that there is a sense of personal freedom that we can give ourselves if we, if we choose to and that, that no one else is going to give it to us, that we give it to ourselves. Freedom can, for some people, be like the word happiness, where it's a kind of a tough word and uh, you're not really, really sure what that means or if it's truly accessible. But this concept of freedom from yourself is a powerful one. And I think one of the big takeaways of the book. So I'd love to just open that up and see what what you all thought of it. For me, the word freedom really was more about being at choice. 
right? If I yeah. pare it all down, it's about I'm at choice at any point, at every point in time as to how I want to be in the moment and where do I want to go. So from a leader perspective, you're at choice as to how you want to respond to something and your actions. And then it becomes responsibility for actions and responsibility for impact and the opportunity that we have to hold ourselves in such a way that we are aware of those. Because one of the things that I've been noticing a lot lately is people who just aren't responsible for or aware of the impact mm -hmm. that their words and their actions have on others. And that's kind of a big one for me. Honestly, the thing that came to mind for me was from the four agreements, don't make assumptions. A lot of this book, I saw the two don't take things personally, because that's the trigger down, you know, a negative rabbit hole and don't make assumptions. So by that, don't make up stories about where things can go. Because as Alyssa said very early on, we can take a story and we can take it a situation and take it down a path that is never going to happen, mm -hmm. potentially. And most often it doesn't happen. So when we have this freedom to be who we are and to just be present in that moment, knowing that the next moment is going to be different and everything else, I think that creates whether you want to use the word gift or you want to use the word spaciousness and ease, whatever your language is, your preferred language around that, it creates opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I kind of like the, the open-endedness of the word opportunity. Being at choice is kind of like, it's a, it's a state that we have to allow ourselves, it sounds like, with negative thoughts or getting hooked or any of these other things. My sense is that they block this flow of inner energy to where we're closed off from possibility and we're not truly, quote, free, um, you know, at least at least according to Singer. We don't have the possibility in, in each moment to, to what we're going to choose to do and, and to experience what's about to happen. Right. Yeah, reading this book made me want to go back and revisit Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Viktor Frankl's quote about between stimulus and response, there is a space. Yeah. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So just within that quote about the idea of choice and power, growth, freedom, and just that idea of what does it mean to be at choice and the fact that we have opportunities to be at choice. And one of these ultimate freedoms is the ability to choose our attitude. So not just our response, but our mindset. So if you have a morning practice of meditation or reflection, journaling, whatever that might be, that's an opportunity every day to reset your mindset and say, how do I want to approach this day? So even bigger picture, no matter what happens, what's my mindset for the day? And then it's easier to draw on that and create a habit of taking that breath, acknowledging that space between stimulus and response to say, I have a choice here. I can, to use our words from before, get hooked, get hijacked, or mm -hmm. I can choose to respond with curiosity yeah. and go from there. I like what Singer's saying. For me, it just brought up Viktor Frankl's words that constantly resonate with me. I have to say, I, I love how much this material is making all of us think of other material we've engaged with that dances in this world. Because I do think this stuff has the tendency to do that because there's so much wonderful stuff written about meaning and purpose and fulfillment and self. So, so I'm loving all these resources that are being shared. I think the thing that I would add to the idea of freedom from self is the idea that if our self is a combination of our instincts 
and our genetic heritage and our programming and our experiences that we have learned from and carried baggage from, if that's our self, then getting freedom from that is actually being able to be in this moment without it being colored by the past. Right, right. And so that's a form of being at choice. We've talked a little bit about not being colored by the assumptions about the future, but really for me, it's in that moment suspended between past Mm -hmm. and future. And now I'm going to make the gift pun. We're in the present. (laughs) And there you have it. (laughs) And we're full circle. (laughs) Yes, I went there. Yeah. I love it. All right. I think this is the moment in the episode where we take a look at what kind of book was this for us? So uh, going back to our system that we've been using in the last few episodes of how we would uh, categorize this book and really what it meant to us using our image of the tree as a symbol for learning and growth. Where would you put this book for you and how would you find it most useful? I thought about this and actually wanted to put this as as a leaf book. Mm. I feel like there's so many different ways of approaching this. And this particular book didn't resonate with me as something that I would adapt as a way of being as some of those books that we talk about as a roots book or a trunk book. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a leaf book on a topic that I think bears visiting and revisiting continuously. This particular book would be kind of among the the leaves of one that I could suggest. And then there would probably be others that for me would be more of the of the roots or foundational type of books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. I would say this comes in a category of books that I think of as leaves or fertilizer mm-hmm. um, in that they have to be broken down and they have to be digested and they you can't actually just build something on them. They're yeah. pointing at what has to be a practice. And this is not stuff that you can learn from from reading. This piece of learning to witness yourself that way, I think is incredibly difficult to do without actual experiential guidance from a teacher in person. Yeah. So I think of the books as inspirational material, things to go back to, motivation to stay on the path, those kinds of things. And sometimes these are written, and this book has some of this in really poetic and beautiful language. So they decorate my life. Uh-huh. <laughs> but there's no one book talking about this material that feels necessary. There are thousands that feel useful. Yeah. Margaret, what about you? Well, I really enjoyed the book and there's a lot of the book that I find great takeaways from. So for me, I actually like kind of the fertilizer concept. (laughs) I'm not sure that I think you need to work with somebody on this book. I think there's a lot that you can do to work on oneself. That's kind of where I'm landing. I think that it can serve so many different areas in life. Is it something that I'll go back to? Yes. I'll go back and listen to parts of it when I need it. Are there good takeaways that I can apply today? There are. So that's kind of where I am with it. I All right. That's great. For me, uh, I, I, I would agree with a, a lot of what you all are saying. And I resonate very much with uh, what Kate 
Kate said around it, it being kind of decorative uh, as well. For me, books of this nature, leaves, flowers <laughs> come to mind as a nice metaphor because it is conceptual and it is foundational. The, the use for me that, that I find the best are these lines and these really well-written passages that I can have as these quick reminders of something that is going to be a lifelong practice. I personally do have a meditation practice and this book is one that has enough really well-written reminders and concepts that can help flesh out my own practice uh, and add some key points and key words and phrases to it that kind of fill out my collection and, and that I hope then make me a better leader uh, as well. All right, we're going to close as we always do with our key thinkaways from the book. And as a reminder, when we say thinkaways, they are final thoughts, summaries, syntheses, what we felt were the, the one or two big things that we want to leave our uh, wonderful listeners with. So I'll start. Um, the think away, which is um, a quote that I really liked, was regardless of your philosophical beliefs, the fact remains that you were born and you're going to die. During the time in between, you get to choose whether or not you want to enjoy the experience. Events don't determine whether or not you're going to be happy. They're just events. That's something I can keep with me every day. I suppose the thing that I want to throw out here as a think away is where do you get hooked? What do you notice? and what helps you unhook, just as a thing to reflect on on a regular basis. I think learning from my discomfort in reading this book and kind of wanting the tethering, the think away for me and possibly for others is the quote, you just decide once and for all to take the journey by constantly letting go mm -hmm. and noticing how difficult it can be to let go. And at the same time, the benefits that can come from remembering to do that and to do that on a consistent basis. That's great. My think away has to do with the way Singer challenges us to use death as a way of reevaluating the choices that we're making in life. So he writes, what if you knew that the next person you'd see would be the last person you'd ever see? You'd be right there soaking it in and experiencing it. It wouldn't matter what they were saying. You would just enjoy hearing the words because it would be the last conversation you'd ever have. That's what happens when you're told death is around the corner. You change. Life doesn't change. And so the, I suppose the think away there is what if we were to bring that kind of awareness to every single conversation or interaction or opportunity, not so that we can be morbid and be thinking about death all the time, but use it as a way to change ourselves and, and what we want to do. This was Leadership Arts Review. If you enjoy the Leadership Arts Review podcast, please leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. You can find more information and additional resources at podcast.leadershipartsreview.com and continue the conversation in the Leadership Arts Review Facebook group or on Twitter at leadership underscore arts. Leadership Arts Review is a Four Impala production. Music adapted by Four Impala from Nathaniel Wyvern's Sanctuary of the Sky Gods under license.